to Conversations in Complexity. Uh, my name is Ross Upshur and I'm the uh, director of the Bridgepoint Collaboratory for Research and Innovation at the Sinai Health System where we're part of the Lunenfeld Tannenbaum Research Institute. I'm also a professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine and in the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. This is the first of two podcasts examining the concept of evidence. In this podcast, I'm going to explore a very important concept in modern healthcare, the concept of evidence. Now, many of you listening to this podcast have no doubt heard of the movement called evidence-based medicine. And if you're a Canadian, uh, you're probably aware now that the uh, current government, uh, the federal government, has decided that all decision-making and policy-making is going to be evidence-based. And so what we're going to explore in this podcast is the concept of evidence and what it means to base decisions on evidence. And what I'll be suggesting is that evidence itself is an important concept and it's related to its uh, companion, uh, uncertainty. And what I will suggest is that evidence is one way in which we try to manage uncertainty uh, about knowledge in order to proceed to make wise, informed decisions uh, to improve health of uh, individuals and populations. So I want to take us back in history a little bit to when evidence-based uh, medicine was first established. And it was uh, actually in a paper in the Journal of the American Medical Association and a group called the Evidence-Based Medicine Working Group, which was led by a fabulously talented uh, clinician, uh, physician, uh, researcher at McMaster University, a general internist by the name of uh, Dr. Uh, Gordon Guyot. But there was also a spirit of another uh, very influential uh, physician at uh, McMaster by the name of David Sackett that led to the uh, creation of evidence-based medicine. Now, full disclosure, I'm a graduate of McMaster University Medical School. I went to uh, medical school in the days before evidence-based medicine was called evidence-based medicine. At that time, there was a very intense interest in what was called clinical epidemiology and in critical appraisal. And when I left uh, philosophy to go into medicine, I felt a natural uh, affiliation with uh, critical appraisal and clinical epidemiology because uh, people in philosophy have very critical minds and are very interested in uh, critical assessment of uh, claims to knowledge in the field of epistemology. So my argument is that evidence is about epistemology or the theory of knowledge, of what counts as knowledge, of what counts as credible and reliable knowledge. So let's go back to the 90s in the original paper published in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association. And it was a refreshing paper. It was a bit of a manifesto, uh, and, and it was actually fairly polemic in its claims. And they stated, and I'm going to quote, a new paradigm for medical practice is emerging. Evidence-based medicine de-emphasizes intuition, unsystematic clinical experience, and pathophysiologic rationale as sufficient grounds for clinical decision-making and stresses the examination of evidence from clinical research. Evidence-based medicine requires new skills of the physician, including efficient literature searching and the application of formal rules of evidence in evaluating the clinical literature. So this was an attempt to transform 
clinical medicine and to actually make clinical medicine more scientific by orienting decision-making to uh, the clinical uh, literature and the research literature and providing clinicians with ways of determining which research is more reliable and credible. So as evidence-based medicine evolved, it uh, developed its, uh, some, there was some pushback, and there was a paper published in the British Medical Journal entitled Evidence-Based Medicine, What It Is and What It Isn't. And there they added some new dimensions. They talked about evidence-based medicine as the conscientious, explicit, and judicious use of best evidence in making decisions about the care of individual patients. And the language here is really important because when you start to think and reflect about what conscientious and judicious mean, um, they're actually what I would argue virtue terms, and we'll come back to that a little later. They also claim that the practice of evidence-based medicine is the integration of the individual clinical experience with the best available external clinical evidence from systematic research and patients' values and expectations. So there's three elements that have to be integrated in evidence-based medicine. The clinical research literature, the best external evidence, the actual clinical skills and clinical acumen of the clinician, and the patient's preferences and values. And those three need to be integrated for a decision to be evidence-based. Now, clinical evidence-based medicine contains five primary steps that really focuses the clinician on asking questions that are amenable to being answered in the research literature. So what is the meaning of life is not a question that an evidence-based practitioner will typically take to look for in a literature search. So you ask a focused question. You typically put it in a PICO format. What's the population? What's the intervention? What's the comparison group? And what's the outcome? And then you need to find that best evidence. In early versions of evidence-based medicine, we're really trying to get uh, clinicians to be efficient users of the medical literature. But of course, at the same time as evidence-based medicine grew, the volume of clinical literature exploded. And now there are thousands of journals and thousands of studies published every day. For a practicing family physician like myself, I would basically have to read all day, every day, in order to keep up with the volume of medical research relevant to clinical practice. So you're supposed to find the study that, that answered the question and then do a critical appraisal using critical appraisal guidelines. And evidence-based medicine has been very good at the uh, publication of what are called user's guide to the literature, providing clinicians with very good um, advice on how to read a randomized trial or a systematic review or look at a study on prognosis or policy or any number of the different elements. Then once you've asked the question, found the evidence, you make a decision and you apply that evidence in practice and then you evaluate your performance to see whether you've actually achieved the goals you wanted to set. So that's in a nutshell what evidence-based medicine is aspires to. Another important element of this is what's called the hierarchy of evidence. And that's critical to the uh, critical appraisal of the literature. So when you're searching for evidence to apply in practice, and particularly when it comes to uh, treatment decisions with medications, you are to look at medicine or evidence as having hierarchical properties. And some, at the top of the hierarchy is something called a systematic review or meta-analysis. 
then a randomized trial. And what it's directing you to is the methodological rigor of the study that you're looking at. And the appraisal guides will help to tell you whether they're good or poor um, uh, manifestations of this. So how important is evidence-based medicine? Well, it's very important. It's ubiquitous in all dimensions of healthcare. It started out within uh, basically the confines of uh, general internal medicine, uh, but by the early aughts, there was evidence-based psychiatry, evidence-based dentistry. Uh, my favorite is evidence-based parenting and evidence-based law. And now we see, for example, at the federal government, a commitment to being evidence-based. So. I got kind of interested in this, and as a philosopher, uh, in the late 90s to the early aughts, we were funded by a, a Center for Excellence program called HealNet, and uh, they asked us to look at how various different disciplines looked at evidence and understood evidence, because it wasn't entirely clear that all aspects of the healthcare system necessarily look to a hierarchy of evidence or were committed to randomized trials or meta-analysis as being the best form of evidence. So there were certain challenges inherent in uh, the concept of evidence-based medicine that needed some clarity. One issue is that even in the original notion of evidence in evidence-based medicine, the definition of evidence wasn't clear. So one thing that's interesting is if you look, for example, as most people do when they want to define a term, they'll start with a definition from a dictionary. And the Oxford uh, English Dictionary gives several senses of the term evidence. One is the quality and condition of being evident. It's a manifestation. It's uh, that which makes uh, evident mark or a trace. And you can think of that, for example, if you ever watch CSI, they're very interested in evidence, but they're looking for forensic evidence, clues, things like fingerprints, hair samples, tissues uh, that can lead to uh, uh, figuring out uh, culpability in a criminal case. The other sense in which evidence is used is that which uh, grounds belief, that which makes, which tends to prove or provide or support um, uh, a belief. And that's where evidence uh, and in evidence-based medicine starts to connect to epistemology because if evidence is about um, what supports or justifies a belief or proves or disprove a conclusion, then evidence is clearly within the purview of epistemology or theory of knowledge. There had been some other attempts to define evidence. As I mentioned, evidence-based medicine doesn't actually do, but uh, Goodman and Royal, two uh, Bayesian statisticians, defined evidence as a property of data that makes us alter our beliefs about how the world around us is working. And another way to say this is that evidence is the basis upon which we derive inferences. So once again, it's about logic, it's about science, it's about how we come to believe that what we believe has some credibility or substance over and above what we simply believe. And uh, Ollie Meetonen, an uh, epidemiologist at McGill, said in its simplest form, the available scientific evidence consists of the published report of a single piece of original research. So that ties evidence to the nature of the scientific endeavor of, um, of research. However, 
There are other disciplines, such as law, that have done a lot of thinking about evidence. In fact, I would argue the richest account of evidence can be found in jurisprudence, because over the centuries in which uh, uh, courts have decided matters, the concept of evidence itself has become central to the function of law. And in legal definitions, they talk about any species of proof or probative matter legally presented at a trial of an issue by the act of parties and through the medium of witnesses, records, documents, exhibits, concrete objects, and here's the important uh, rider, for the purpose of inducing beliefs in the minds of the court or the jury as to their contention. In other words, all means by which any alleged matter of fact, the truth of which is submitted to investigation, is established or disproved. Now, the important thing about evidence in law is that it's inherently contested. There may be one or two sides to the story, and the process is to adjudicate the veracity of the claims. And medicine, with a much more monolectical approach to evidence, uh, has kind of let go of that notion of evidence having a contested nature. But if you read anything in the media or in the scientific literature, of course, it's highly contentious. The interesting thing here, just as a historical uh, uh, anecdote, is that uh, Sir uh, R.A. Fisher, who was the um, statistician who did a lot of work to establish the mathematical basis of randomized control trials, thought that the RCT would end all dispute about the interpretation of an experiment. And um, as we know now, a uh, single RCT is no longer considered unless it's got like clear and convincing evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt, which is a legal term. Uh, they usually rely on replication and other forms. Thank you.